Hey, good morning and welcome to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. Got a special conversation for you today between a friend and myself. His name is John Gibson. We're going to dive straight into talking about the revival going on at Asbury, moves of God happening around the world. Well, it's a Reckless Grace podcast. I'm sitting down with my friend Jonathan Gibson. John Gibson and I met at a conference. I'm not going to go into the story. It's way too long to tell. I want to get into the topic today. We're, we're, we're going to talk about revival and sound. We're going to try to find a meshing between the two somewhere in here. Let's do that. We're in the middle of uh, a time in history where it feels like there's a move of God that's taking place that is, people are calling it unprecedented, it's different, it's, you know, and, and I, I'm of the school of thought that 2,000 years ago the Holy Spirit fell upon humanity and never left. He's always been here. So <clears throat> you won't hear me calling this a revival. You hear me calling this an awakening because I believe we are coming to an awareness. There's a generation that's perhaps for the first time coming to an awareness of what's been available, been tasted by so many before, and now it, it feels new, feels fresh. It does. But I don't know. What do you think when you when you look at all the things that are going on with this revival? Well, you know, awakening. Here we go. Yeah, I think I think every time uh, we see a move of God, uh, we love the idea of us disengaging for a sovereign move, <laughs> because it takes away our responsibility, and we say that well, God did it. And I think that uh, that that can be partly true. God does move. Externally, we love when he moves externally, but I think for many people, every time there's an authentic move of God, the first thing that we see uh, is judgment of men, and that was the first thing that I noticed. Yeah, Uh, it wasn't praise the Lord God is moving; it's beware of false moves (laughs) of God. And I cringe a little bit when I see those things because I understand that the intent is good, Mm -hmm. but we kind of miss, you know, the parable of the wheat and tares. Yeah. We're trying to police the move of God, and in doing so, we're actually damaging the harvest. That's what the correction is from the right. master of the wheat and tares. He says, please don't do that. Yeah. Let me, at the harvest time, yeah. separate the wheat and the tares, yeah. and, and I'll make sure that nothing gets let damaged. Let them grow up together. Yes. And we the, don't let have them, to... the let them part. I mean, we can't even imagine that, that the Son of God would say, let them. Like, leave them alone. You know? we, we pray the same <laughs> prayers. We read the same scriptures. We're at the same altar together. And we don't have to be responsible to police someone else's encounter. Back up a second. I, I, I love what you're saying right here. Back up to, to this part where you, you said a line that I don't want to forget. We disengage. When it comes to a sovereign move of God, we feel it's this need to disengage. Uh, you said it in better wording. Yeah. So when, Talk to me about that. when God comes in, many of us, we pray things like, God, do it again. And we read that Jesus isn't a fan of doing things the same way. And then when he does do something that is slightly different than we were praying for, or completely different more times than not, uh, there is this sense of disengagement that comes over us because we say, well, now God is moving Mm -hmm. and I don't want to get in the way. But we forget. It was God's idea to place Adam in a garden and have him co-labor to name creation, which means getting in the way is his idea. It's called co-laboring. And so when God begins to move, we see this so many times in revival history. I don't want to touch it. Yeah. We say things like, I don't want to touch his glory. But in the new covenant, his glory is concealed in human flesh. Yeah. That's us. And as he is, so are we in this world. Yes. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, we are carriers of the glory of God. To him be glory in the church. So we are, we are to be the conduits through which the glory covers the earth. And yeah, so touching the glory of, touching the glory of God is like, my goodness. 
you are the glory of God. Yeah. I mean, that, and I would say that when we see the sovereign move, there's something that happens where we disengage because we call it a sovereign move. And many of us pray for a sovereign move of God, typically from a place of fear, mm. the fear of being hurt again because a previous move caused a wound. Yeah. And they come away with a sense of, I want it to be a 100% God and nothing uh, with man involved. <laughs> but that's what the earth is. It's 100% God with man involved. And yeah. that was his idea. Right. And so really, when we see the sovereign moves of God, while we like it, a friend of mine once said, Jonathan, a sovereign move of God is evidence that we were lazy. <laughs> and when we see that, I, I can't help but agree. It's not that God doesn't ever move, yeah. but even he says, I won't do anything unless I first reveal it to who? Yeah. Prophets. Prophets. Right. So everything that he does, he wants us to be involved in. It's his nature. Otherwise, he didn't need to make us at all. Right. And so why do we disengage though? When there's a move of God, why, why so often do we find ourselves disengaging? I mean, do we feel uh, inadequate? Sure. You know, inadequate. And also if it's a, it's a move of God outside of maybe our city. Sure. Um, there are yeah. veins that come up saying, why didn't he move here? He sees my life. He sees my heart. We, we love, uh, God to judge us according to our intentions, not our actions, mm -hmm. especially right. during a move. Yeah. God, why didn't you do this for me? Look at my heart. We never say, God, why didn't you do this for me? Look at my actions. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me the other day about specifically Asbury, and they said, what do you think happened and what do we have to do? Yeah. And lovingly, I'm, I'm pretty direct with my friends, and uh, as, as people are. Yeah. And, and I said, listen, college kids got together, and they decided that it was no longer okay to end the adoration of Jesus, they just decided to go a little longer. Yeah. And random passerbys said, I can get behind that. And I can't yeah. help but think the Holy Spirit's like, I can get behind that. Yeah. And we see this move starting to erupt and catching fire. And it started with people who were in love with Jesus. Right. And I think that every move of God, whether we call it sovereign or not, you know, a lot of that is just language differences or value systems. But I think when our love begins to take shape, people can see it externally and point at it. Yeah. Then we have what is called an awakening. Why? Because they know that we're Christians by our love. Sometimes it's by our love for each other. Right. And sometimes it's by our love for Christ. But it needs to be put on display. When it gets put on display, especially collectively, it, it seems to draw the streams in. And of course, collectively, the streams together or I think as scripture puts it, we are all together lovely. You know, there's, there's something about unity pulling everybody together in their diversity that, that makes the body so special. Uh, I, I watched this, this particular mode of hunger though, seems drawn to a minimalistic simplicity. Mm. It kind of marks this generation in a sense. It's, it's almost like it's, everything is very stripped down. It's not yeah. about a person, a celebrity, a, even a particular message that's coming forth because it's really not even a, a sermon that's prompted any of this. So there's no human figure that can put their name on it and say, oh, it's my revival or whatever. I, I think Asbury is getting the most, probably the most airtime because it's the most unusual culture for something like this to break out. Sure. We've seen, you know, the gate in Charlotte and, uh, and various other things that have been happening. And there's this North Georgia revival that's all based in baptisms and and uh, other parts of the country that are experiencing 
similar outpourings, but the thing that that makes Asbury so unusual is that it's not the norm for the culture there and hasn't been since 1970. So I think it's really kind of put it on the map. When, when you haven't had something here for a long time, then all of a sudden it happens, then it feels like, oh man, this is super special. Uh, I had a friend whose, whose church was visited by somebody who's relatively high profile minister of friends with one and, and saw the service uh, as they normally have it. And then messaged their friend and said, this move is breaking out. And he named the church in this place as well. And my friend who's the pastor of that church did not know that there was a revival happening or a move of God or an awakening happening in his church until he saw this high profile national minister put a post out about it. Right. And, and he said to me, he said that it actually was just a normal Sunday for us. You know, if that had happened in Asbury, you know, for them, that was, that'd be huge, huge revival uh, mode because they're not used to responding in the way they are, right. you know, to the, to the glory. But in this case, uh, this church is used to responding in this way. It's a common thing. It's very, uh, it's a very familiar thing to them. So when that happened, uh, my friend says, you know, I, I learned, I learned that we were in this awakening. <laughs> we were part of this thing when I saw it online that somebody posted and he, I'm in, I'm in the service. He said, but we, he says, I'm thinking to myself, well, God, you know, maybe we shouldn't be treating what we experience all the time in a place of familiarity or in a common space. Maybe we should lean into this just a little bit in solidarity right. with what appears to be an increasing hunger. And, you know, John, when I hear the term hunger, I always, I always feel the need to somehow define and clarify what I mean by that, because there's two kinds of hunger as far as I can tell. When it comes for the things of God, um, there's a hunger that's based in lack. In other words, I am, I am hungry because I'm lacking something. And so I need to go get filled up so that I won't be hungry anymore. But then you have, you know, David saying things like taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and the analogy of, of food and God seems to somehow weave itself throughout the scriptures in many ways. I find that the more that I taste of him as goodness, the more my hunger for him actually increases. So it's not a hunger from a place of lack. It's a hunger because I, I'm very well aware of what I already have access to. And because of that, I want more. And so I would encourage, you know, if, if you feel like you have a hunger from a place of lack, then awaken to the reality of what you have access to. Um, it, but repent and believe the gospel that Jesus Christ has come to make his home in you, to, to set up residence in you, to turn you into the temple of his Holy Spirit, to make you the ark of the new covenant, to, to build a throne in your heart and to make your very being his throne room so that the very throne room of heaven actually resides within you and me and, and all that name the name of Jesus. There's this, this thing of revelation of union that that causes us to suddenly awaken to this idea that the, the kingdom inside of me is bigger than the kingdom outside of me, and it transcends time and space and, and the human frailty of my own physical being. And now and what I, I resonate with is the sound of heaven that is consistently, uh, uh, you know, one moment it's crashing and careening like a river flowing through a canyon. Next moment it's gentle, it's peaceful and calm, but the glistening of the sunlight on the surface of it, and you feel the sense of like, oh my goodness, this, this has so many nuances, so many flavors, but it's still the same river. It's still the same sound, but there's so many different varieties and variations of it. 
And so to experience all of it, I think, is the gift of sonship in eternity. And that is that we've been invited into this existence where that experience of engaging with God in a way that that lifts us beyond the suffering of this human existence to behold him, uh, to, to reflect him as in a mirror, and to move in that reflection from glory to glory. The, the beauty of that engagement, you know, can start the minute somebody says, Jesus, yes, I say yes to everything that you have spoken over my life, and I, I invite you in. So in that mode, we are in awakening from day one, right? And then we live this awakening. But I think perhaps we, we can camp out in one aspect of, of this relationship with this river, this sound, this personal God right. who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit and invited us into this triunity of an embrace. There, there is this, um, I, th- I think we, we become creatures of habit and the glory. And so we start to think that, oh, I've tasted this before. It's good. I'll taste it tomorrow. It's good. I'll keep tasting. It's good. But I just wonder if there aren't things that God wants to take us into, experiences that he wants to show us that we've never seen before that that will put us back in the posture of a student realizing, oh man, even though I have access to all of it, I still have barely scratched the surface of what's available. So to people who have a hunger from a place of lack, step into an awareness that you have access to all of it. You don't have to try to get it. Sure. However, for people who have a hunger from a place that you've tasted and seen of his goodness. And maybe you've thought, oh, I've seen it all. Uh, I, I feel like I just kind of want to reach through the microphone right. and massage your heart back to life. <laughs> yeah. the, the heart of the adventurer yep. you know, that, that thinks they've seen everything there is to see. Yeah, I think the Lord told me recently, well, there's a lot that you said that I want to try to speak through. But one of the things is predictability is the enemy of adventure. Yeah. When we think we know what it's going to look like, we've actually stepped out of the heavenly realm. Why? Angels are looking at him covered in eyes. Why? Because they get to see him from different perspectives within their own personhood for eternity, still crying holy. And the crazy part is Jesus never says, I don't like the song holy, change the channel. They didn't need a better song. They needed a new revelation, and that's only possible if you look at Jesus with different eyes in the same body. And so when we look at Christ over different uh, revivals, awakenings, movements, and we think that we know what it looks like and we judge what we believe that it isn't, we've stepped out of heavenly realm and we've stepped into comparison. The Lord gave me a dream when we started our ministry and I saw these lions in the sky. They were in cloud form, and they were facing each other. Some were laying down. Some had turned their backs. Some were tired of standing and were in a sitting position, and some were standing but with no real focus. And I see the Son of God come and stand among them, and he wasn't ashamed to be seen with them, but he wasn't impressed. And I heard a sound, oddly. Uh, we're talking about sound and, and revival, how that all connects. It's happened in my dream. Uh, I love the fact that this isn't rehearsed because this is happening in real time, folks. But in my dream, there was a sound released from heaven. And when this happened, all of the lions came into alignment and Jesus is now standing on the other side and they're all looking at him. And I heard a voice say, just because the lions have gathered together in a room 
does not mean that they're in unity. Beholding me is a unity. I am the great equalizer. Why? Because when we're all looking at Christ, we become like him. But when we look at each other, we begin to categorize and look like yeah. Satan, the categorizer. <laughs> the accuser of the brethren, right. the categorizer. Right. And so it's important that in these moves, we don't get so caught up on what we don't, you know, like we're looking at his hand mm -hmm. and we're judging what we perceive as the heart of God. Right. We're bringing accusation against his hand, yeah. thinking that we know his heart. <laughs> if out of the abundance of a man's heart, his mouth speaks, what does it then mean by his actions? Here's an example. In my mind or in my heart, I feel that I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. And so I communicate out loud, I'm hungry. But how many hours does it take for you to get up off the couch to actually go and get some food out of the fridge? Right. We do this all the time. Yeah. So what does that mean then for revival? We're saying we're, we're hungry. We're crying out and we're saying we're hungry, but we often look as a church, we look like our appetite. And, and the detriment to me isn't like personally you or I looking like a specific appetite or maybe the listener. What What is the detriment is that our disciples will also look like our appetite. And when they look like our appetite, we've actually done a disservice to the cross. Right. Because our disciples aren't supposed to look like us at all. They're supposed to look like Jesus. Jesus, right. And so we begin to kind of debunk what we believe revival should and shouldn't look like by judging our own appetite yeah. and an appetite that produces action. We can all say that we're hungry, but until it takes shape, like we said earlier, then we can't actually continue to sit on the couch and tell God that we want a sovereign meal. Right. Right. That meal has to compel us to do things that like I'll sidetrack just for a second. I'm, I'm a little concerned by the church at large when we keep asking God what we're supposed to do. My family and I, we're very prophetic. We teach prophecy pretty much everywhere we go, uh, maybe differently than as popular uh, in the church today. And uh, when we ask God what we're supposed to do in terms of like daily life, God, what am I supposed to do with my job? God, what am I supposed to do with my marriage? Lord, what am I supposed to do with my church? Uh, yeah. We keep asking God for all of, we're asking for more rules claiming grace. Right. God, will you please create boundaries for me yeah. so that I can be pleasing to you? And that is theology that has ran out of current capacity for grace. So we, 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 I said this the other day in a conversation with you. We revert to old covenant beliefs and, and theology when we run out of our present understanding in the new covenant. So when my, my capacity is fulfilled, I don't understand what grace really means today in the new covenant. Then I'll fill it in with, well, now I need to work to do. Right. What's happening at Asbury? I have people ask me, what do we need to do to have that? Right. What? Why is it about works at all? Yes. Is it possible that people were just smitten with Jesus and they stepped into the agreement that is the divine dance? Yeah. And when we step into that, then obviously things start to happen that maybe wouldn't happen before then. But I don't think that that is an action of doing as much as it is an action of adoring. Right. Uh, and I would sum up everything I just said this way. Jesus plus anything is a deduction from Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. When we say that we need Jesus and, and, and let's just put out the keyword right now, revival. Mm -hmm. Like it's not good enough just to have Jesus. We need Jesus plus revival. We've actually deducted from Jesus himself because we're saying he alone isn't good enough in me, which is actually what he paid for his, with his blood to do. <laughs> uh, I made a friend uh, frustrated the other day. I said, 
you know, God has moved externally since the beginning. Yeah. But he had to pay with his blood to move internally. Yeah. Yeah, I've been talking about this a lot lately. John 5, Jesus gets in trouble with the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he, when he says he heals on the Sabbath. And they get mad at him, not for healing, but for healing on the Sabbath. And he's, my father's been working all the way up until now, and I'm just doing his work. And so, you know, Jesus looks at him and says, you, you have a perspective of how the father works. Because he gave you guys an old covenant system to live by where you work six days and you rest on the seventh, because that's the way that he created the earth. And so that's the way you think his pattern is. And you're just following his pattern. Well, I'm telling you, his pattern's not like that. And I'm following his pattern. And his pattern is that he's been working solidly. In other words, even... God works on the Sabbath. Well, you know, when you tell a bunch of religious people that God's broken their formula, the formula that he initially gave them, and and now this one is calling God his father and following the formula, then the next verse says they sought to kill him. I mean, obviously, you know, God has no problem breaking our formulas, even if the formula initially came from him. That's right. You know, Paul to the church in Galatians says, says uh, you guys started in the spirit, you end in the flesh. Like what you birthed in the spirit, you ended up wanting to somehow apply into a formulaic-based relationship with with a, a system instead of a heart-to-heart relationship with a God whose voice is meant to guide you. That's right. You know, when I talk about living in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord, people often will say, okay, how do I do that? First thing I want to know is how do I hear the voice of the Lord so that I can live in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord so that it's it's almost like, okay, that's the formula. He'll give me the, give me the like dial in so that he tells me when to get up every day. He tells me what to eat for breakfast. He tells me, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not the way this works. That's right. Living in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord means he reserves the right at any moment to interrupt my day with the sound of his heartbeat to move me out of my routine. And I found that this is kind of the way it works for me, John. And that is that God will allow me to get into a, a rut of living only to interrupt it to see whether or not half the time I think it's to see whether or not he still can. Yeah. You know? And and uh you know, we were talking earlier tonight about, you know, what happens when you have direction issues in your life, which way you're supposed to go and and I got a couple of doors in front of me and certain things. I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do? And I'm not getting a clear word from God. Well half the time it's like a good dad saying, Well make your decision, I'll bless it. So I think a lot of times we have this sort of this this idea that uh no, I'm not going to make a decision until God tells me. And I think part of the reason we do that is because if it goes wrong, then we have somebody to blame, you know, <laughs> except for, you know, we can take any doorway that God puts in front of us and we can, we can uh, steer it in a completely wrong direction. It's totally possible to do. Absolutely. And I would, I would add, uh, sometimes it is needing someone to blame because mm-hmm. people aren't static and, uh, I could probably go on for a few hours about this idea that we weren't static. We're, we're different, right? Right, right. Um, but for many people, I think sometimes um, they're interacting with the Lord and they're saying, I don't want to do anything that brings you displeasure, not realizing that you're alive for his good pleasure. Right. And so we feel like if we make a wrong decision, we will somehow be less connected to the Lord as if we were that powerful. <laughs> and we're not that powerful. <laughs> That's why it took his blood and not your blood, yeah, right? right? Right. And so this understanding that sometimes we don't want to move. I, I met with some leaders just last week, uh, and they're they're doing some transitional stuff. And they said, you know, we we're concerned that we're going to make the wrong choice, so we're not going to do anything 
until God says. And I said, how's that working out? Well, I haven't heard anything yet. He, he will just let you sit. He will. You know, as my we, we need to come. As my to the dad group. would say on your blessed assurance, he will let you sit all day long. <laughs> you know, he has yeah. no problem with that. Yeah. I mean, we've got to come to the conclusion that we exist, and, and he takes joy in that. Yeah. And from that place, it's like, oh, well, I really can do whatever is in my heart to do. I mean, the scripture says he'll give me the desires of my heart. So there are many Christians I know that are walking in excellent relationship with the Lord, and he did all the heavy lifting. Their theology is solid, and they still struggle right. with that mentality. Like, I don't, I don't want to, to bring him displeasure. What would bring him the most pleasure? I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure his idea to make you is what brought him the most pleasure. That's why yeah. you're alive. And from that place, we get to adventure with the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to go in this direction. Will you bless it? And, and and many people, these leaders that asked me last week, I said, did the Lord put this in your heart to begin with? Right. Because if he did, then the answer is already there, and maybe he's not as complicated as you made him. <laughs> so so we have we have a, a, a world now with a hunger for the things of God and, and people engaging with mm -hmm. the Lord, yeah. many of them perhaps for the first time, and now the streams of revivalists who just who pine for these moments right. are flooding into it. Sure. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not even going to say what I think is possible because I don't want to, yeah. you know, it's like, but, you know, I, I, I can see a lot of these people are friends of mine and they're like diving into this thing going, I want to get in the middle of it. And then they come out and they pull their phones out and they start talking about, you know, uh, typically what it isn't. It's not uh, what we're used to is right. in so many, so many words. And uh, it's, it's minimalistic. It's uh, somebody on an acoustic guitar. It's, it's, it, you know, for lack of a better term, mediocre in terms of worship skill and style. It's um, quiet, contemplative. There is an, uh, an element of the holiness and love. It's in the middle of it. And I think, you know, so many people from a revivalist background who studied in revivals are looking for the the um the marks and manifestations that we've come to know uh laughter uh, a lot of people just flopping around on the ground like fish on a dock which is great that's fine um you know jerks whatever you want to call them it, it just all Some kinds of different manifestations manifestations mm -hmm. that you know take place or atmospheric manifestations Miracles, things, miracles, healing signs, wonders, all kinds of stuff, right? And and certainly, I think those things are happening. I don't think we're getting those in terms of a lot of airtime, especially from Asbury. Sure. But what seems to be happening in that environment is really what is available for all of us everywhere we are, and that is to allow ourselves to just become aware of the holiness of the Father's love, which can happen to every person listening to this podcast right now, to you and I sitting here in your studio. To, uh, to anyone who just pierces an ear to hear his voice, uh, lets their heart just be surrendered to meditate on, uh, on their union with the Lord. Right. You know, it's where I begin the day every day, John 14, 20, and that day you'll know I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. I just take time to try to let my, my mind wrap myself around, you know, wrap myself around this idea of, of I didn't ask to be here, I didn't sign up to even be born, I live and move and have my being because of the will of another. I'm birthed because of the will of another. And 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, by his doing, I am in Christ. Come on. So I rest in his doing as good work. 
and I rest in that being in Christ. I don't have to try to keep myself in Christ. I don't have to try to climb into Christ. By his doing, I am in Christ. Now I rest in the reality of that, in reconciled rest, in union with the one who is from the beginning, and let that union uh, draw my heart. And you know, I, I find, John, I can, I can find myself just at rest, completely satisfied with where I am. Right. And, and yet, there are moments, and this is maybe where I, I break a little bit from some of, some of my finished work friends. There are moments where I feel the Lord say, you want to see something I've never shown you before? Right. You want to do something new that you've never done before? Hey, thanks for listening to the broadcast today. If you'd like to write to us, you can do so by writing to Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. For those of you who still write good old-fashioned paper letters, and you can jump online, go to VanderbushMinistries.com or BillVanderbush.com. Listen to this broadcast again. And, uh, and listen, if you want to hear the rest of this particular broadcast, the full-length broadcast is on the Reckless Grace podcast. And I encourage you to jump over and check that out. If you've never listened to that podcast, it's a lot of fun, a little bit different than this one. But I think you find it to be incredibly enlightening. Uh, also, if you would like to get a hold of some resources to help you grow in grace and grow in your faith, then jump on BillVanderbush.com and download the Hebrews or Ephesians Bible Studies. Name your own price. So uh, we want to give it to you as a gift and uh, trust it's going to be an amazing blessing and benefit to your walk with Christ. So thanks for listening today. This is Bill Vanderbush from all of us here at Faith Mountain Ministries. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.